Welcome to Stacy on the Right, the podcast, where we interview the newsmakers and people that you need to hear from uninterrupted, no commercials, just Kim and me. <laughs> and by Kim, I mean Kim Klasik. You know her well from Red Renaissance and her GOP congressional campaign, her time with President Trump, and her overall domination of messaging for Republicans and really being a thought leader on politics in 2021 in the age of the continuing pandemic, even though that should be over too. Kim, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, it's quite an intro. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, I, uh, I have to give due where it's due because you're one of my favorites online. When I, when I see you, you're like, I'm going live. I'm like, yes, <laughs> turn up the volume on this phone. Let's see what she's talking about today. And so I wanted to start off with kind of a recap from you on how that that the Virginia a couple of weeks ago was like a it was like a bell that rang across the country. It was a little bit of a knocking down of the Democrats house of cards that they have built around themselves with CRT and everything being concentrated on race and them ignoring the economy and them ignoring the fact that parents don't like what they're pushing in public schools. And I think it was something interesting. But I, I, I want your take because you're in Maryland. And you have this this it's like a stranglehold on the political structure there. They don't want to listen to you, but the people on the ground are hearing from you with your message of having a better life in every area. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, you know, we were excited to see what happened in both Virginia and New Jersey. Uh, we had candidates in both states uh, during this past election. And, uh, you know, we had Mike Cherry in Virginia's District 66, AC Cordorza in District 91 in Virginia, and then we flipped some school board seats like Lakeisha Cook uh, in District 5 in New Jersey. So we were excited to see what was going on. Um, we've been in you know, New Jersey all summer, so we kind of had a feeling that things were going to change just a little bit. Uh, but that's the, that's the thing. you know, That's what it is all about, is really grassroots and talking to people on the ground, as you mentioned. Uh, and I think that's something that we can do in the GOP a little bit differently, uh, hopefully moving forward into the midterms. Uh, because there are a lot of people, like we all saw uh, across the country, that are upset. Uh, you know, in Virginia, you saw it in Loudoun County, where parents were fighting back when it came to the schools and the education system. And so that's not just happening in Virginia. That's actually happening all over the country. I think, you know, in Loudoun County, those parents just made a whole lot of noise. Um, but, you know, if we can really get to those people uh, before the midterms, I think we can see some changes. And, you know, we say to people, we're not asking you to, to change party affiliation. We're asking you basically to reject this progressive agenda. And to do that, you know, it would be best to vote for the GOP candidate. Yeah. And the, the, the opportunity to vote for the GOP means a whole new life for parents who've never given them that opportunity. I mean, it, we're talking about individuals who have never, ever considered voting for the GOP because they're, quote unquote, racist, hearing policy and saying, wait a minute, I agree with that. Yeah, no, it's it's totally different nowadays. I mean, when we talk about school choice, uh, you know, whether or not we have to explain it a little more in depth, uh, we don't mind doing that, obviously. But a lot of parents agree with it, especially in areas that have had this Democrat stronghold. I think that was our number one uh, priority when talking to people in West Baltimore. Uh, and this is an, an, an area that had, you know, Democrat control for 53 years. Uh, and a lot of people don't realize this, but we actually flipped West Baltimore. Uh, they voted for myself and, and President Trump. Um, typically in Baltimore City, a Republican only received 4,000, 3,500 to 4,000 votes. And we were able to get 14,000 votes. 
And so there are a lot of people uh, that are now, you know, taking in some of these conservative messages and, and saying, wow, this is actually something that I support. Uh, we also have a lot of people that are faith-based, right? So we see on the left a lot, there seems to be a push to kind of get rid of God and even talking about the church. Uh, and then you have, you know, a lot of seniors, especially African-Americans, that's what they're all about. You know, you'll find them in church every Sunday. And so now we're really, I think, uh, trying to, you know, capitalize on the fact that here are people that have been thinking and, and voting a certain way their entire lives, and they probably didn't realize that they were voting against their interests uh, just based on the party affiliation. So now that we're waking people up to that, uh, you know, like I said, I'm excited going into the midterm. So this is exactly what um, we've been talking about for years. We've literally been talking about this for years. I remember interviewing you years ago on um, AFR and you talking about the fact that the GOP wasn't participating in races that were winnable, races that wouldn't possibly be won right away. In other words, it wasn't just, oh, we're going to run a candidate and flip it immediately, that it would take time. And those were like the seeds, the beginnings of what you're doing now, because it, it, it kind of morphed from a discussion that you were having all over on Fox Business, on Fox News, on my show, on all radio programs across the country into what you're doing now with Red Renaissance. And I think that's really inspiring. And it's worth stopping for a moment and taking a note to say you had the idea of running candidates everywhere instead of just saying these are our areas, running people everywhere. People need help everywhere. Politics are bad everywhere. Living conditions could be better. You run candidates. And then instead of just expecting what you had before, you actually go out and pound the pavement, knock the doors, make the videos that get people's attention as the air wars are really nothing right now. Running ads on the radio, not enough people are listening to the actual advertisements to make those ads as valuable as the YouTube visuals where you're walking down the streets of Baltimore and it looks like a third world kind of Honduras situation, but it's in America. And you're with a group of women dressed up, basically indicating change. Um, I, I think it's worth noting, it's worth saying, you know, in this time and space after Virginia and New Jersey and the school board flips and the news that's been made that this idea that you had years ago coming to fruition now can only portend more success in the future because you're actually doing the work. And I'm I'm just so tired of the lip service. I want more people to actually do the work. Um, and so speaking of the work, we have this stupid Build Back Better bill. It's made it out of the House of Representatives, which to me, it's like, what what kind of jacked up like alternative timeline are we in where even the moderate Democrats think that voting for Build Back Better is good for their flip districts, their Trump districts? The, the, these people have to worry about being reelected, but they voted it on out anyway. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I, I had a feeling that it was going to pass the House. I wasn't quite sure. Um, but I'm hoping that it does not pass in the Senate, but I, I'm not, you know, <laughs> I won't hold my breath is how I'll put it. Um, you know, we see that Senator Manchin and Senator Cinema, you know, had some reservations on it as they should, but I didn't see like Senator, uh, you know, McConnell or anyone else having meetings with Manchin or Cinema, uh, saying, you know, please do vote against this. You know, we'll, you know, work with you on and whatever you need to work with on. We kind of just sat back and, and watch. And that's my problem. That's my number one problem with the GOP. We're never proactive, right? We just kind of always sit back and watch things happen to us. Uh, we shouldn't be passing this bill at all, considering right now 
uh, when we look at inflation and consumer prices, they've jumped by 6.2% just in the last month alone. So that's the largest inflation surge that we've seen in the past 30 years. And so to do Build Back Better, I understand people do need support with childcare. I understand some people do support universal pre-K or, you know, fighting climate change. But these are issues that can honestly wait, in my opinion. Uh, right now we have a labor shortage. We have a ton of jobs out there. Uh, you know, why not get people back to work or even giving them incentives to get back to work instead of getting them incentives to stay home? Uh, we can't just keep printing money. I mean, as you saw, we passed the infrastructure bill, which, you know, had bipartisan support. I would have supported it, believe it or not, if I was on the Hill. But if we have labor issues, I mean, who's going to build these bridges and, and fix these roads if we can't get people to work? And so we have other issues I think we should be focusing on. Uh, I saw a lot of pork in this bill. Um, you know, as, as we see in a lot of bills, usually the party that's in charge or in control, uh, you know, figures out ways to, to push money back into their own pockets or coffers. Um, and so these things are things that I think is really detrimental at a time where we're seeing the inflation, where we're seeing the supply chain issues. And I think we should be focusing on rebuilding our economy the right way. So the rebuilding of the economy um, is is really, it's a private sector job, but in partnership with the government, obviously. And it, it happens best under leaders who want to see the control of that rebuilding happen on the ground, closest to where the problems are. And I think it's, it's, it's kind of a fascinating outlook comparison, right? Because Democrats literally think if the government didn't tell you to do it, it's not worth doing. And Republicans literally think that if the government has anything to do with it, that they should run in the other direction. <laughs> so the, the, the two sides don't, don't share any common space on how to get these things done. But Kim, every single time we have Republicans cross over and help them. What, what are we to do about these? They're like never Trump rhinos, but they're worse than that because they, they vote against their own interests, their, their, the interests of their constituents. Um, what, are we, what are we to do in 2022 with the people who continue to cross over and enable the Democrats' agenda? Yeah, I, I hope, honestly, we just vote them out. And that's why it's so important for us to do the groundwork. Uh, we do have some people that are running against incumbents that do, just as you said. And, you know, it's time for us to really be, uh, you know, true to the fact that, look, Yes, we might respect this person in office. Yes, they've been in office forever. Yes, they say they're Republicans, but if they're not voting in our best interest, what are we really doing, right? And so I, I do hope that people do vote differently. And also, you know, I hope more people get involved. If you know that in your district you have someone that I guess you could consider a rhino or, you know, anti-we the people, you know, definitely support the candidates that are running against them. This is like all hands on deck at this point. Uh, and then I ask people to definitely get involved even on the local level because who knows, somebody might vote because they're excited about somebody running for a delegate seat or, you know, one of those local seats that will get them out. And then, you know, we're helping people vote down ballot uh, if we get them out and really voting for the Republicans, no matter who it is that might be their favorite on that ballot. But, you know, it's, it's, we can't just sit back and keep watching anymore. Uh, you know, we're like watching our demise. Uh, and, and so we've got to get up and do something. And, and, you know, like I say all the time, don't leave any of these seats uncontested. As we see in Georgia, Stacey Abrams, people in Texas, they're chipping away at red states. You know, we should be chipping away at blue states. There's no such thing as an unwinnable seat, uh, especially when you don't run for it, right? That's a defeatist attitude. You've got to get out there and go. And then also know this is a great strategy 
leading up to 2024, right? If we're flipping these seats in 22, then in 2024, we have a better shot at taking back the White House. And really, if if you think about the progression that you just described there, Kim, so we, we it's planning, it's execution, but it's also having a goal in mind. And for me, my, my, my primary goal is for everyone to kind of understand the knowledge base that's undergirding what you're talking about here today. And, and so that means comparing the two platforms. I just, re- I've, I've compared them online so many times, but I just recently went to, I had to go to two separate places because technology is now inefficient because we can't keep a computer in a Kinko's anymore. That's a whole nother podcast. Maybe I could do 40 minutes on how to run your Kinko's. But anyway, I, I go to FedEx Kinko's and I want to print out these platforms and I get the one printed out. I have to go to another place to get the other one. And I now have them in a binder because when I go online and I flip back and forth, you know, I can lose my place because they're PDF documents. And the first thing I notice is, first of all, the Democrats party platform is like a quarter longer than the Republicans. They updated theirs in 2020. The Republicans simply issued resolutions that bound them to the 2016 platform, which was coincidentally the last party platform for the Republicans that Phyllis Schlafly ever contributed to before her death. And she really, really believed in President Trump from the very first moment he announced. And so it's it's kind of a special platform for us to carry on into the future. And our platform is pretty pretty much the same. It, it The specifics... Uh, about how to achieve the policy are adjusted over time. Additional parts are added to address things that Democrats are trying to foist on Americans. But mainly, we are for the Constitution, we're for the family, we're for religious freedom, etc. So when you look at the two-party platforms, the first thing you notice is the Democrats cover every area of your life in their platform. And they start off with, we believe, and then they start talking about things that clearly belong to parents, they clearly belong to individuals. And then they go into deep detail about how they want the government to get people to do these things, to pay people to do these things, or to pay for people to achieve these things that they claim can only be done by Democrats and the government. So the, it's a stark comparison. And if if we don't – I feel like we're kind of like um, – we have the best kept secret in the world, Kim, and all we have to do is explain it. And we run around telling people about the three things that maybe motivate us the most, you know, tax cuts, less regulation, um, freedom – and what people really want to hear about is how they can clean up their kid's school, how they can um, have less actual tax at the local level, right? So control their local government. <laughs> and people want to know how they can make their streets and neighborhoods cleaner and have better overall American type, meritocracy type like living all over, not just in the suburbs, not just in areas that are controlled by Republicans. We are not talking to them about the right things because we're not focusing on the main thing, which is this is what we believe in the party platform. This is how it applies to your life. This is why you need to vote for us as opposed to them because they believe this. This is how their platform applies to your life. And so, you know, choose. We're not saying that, I don't think. No, you're right. It's it's all about the messaging. I mean, we even just watched it uh, just a couple of days ago. You know, the Democrats passed the infrastructure bill. They were excited about that, so they wanted to rebrand the Build Back Better bill, and they started calling it the Human Infrastructure Bill, right? They know how to jump on there and change the message, and they're very organized in what they do. Uh, These are things, like you said, that we need to adopt uh, if we want to win moving forward. And yes, it's not going to be like, you know, talking about the tax cuts and things like that, because that's not glamorous, right? It's not what they want to hear. It's not something that everybody even thinks about. 
on a day-to-day basis. You know, they're thinking about what you call like the kitchen table issues, right? And so those are things that we should be talking about. And, and I got a lot of pushback, believe it or not, running my race. Everyone kept saying, well, you're only, you know, you're talking about local issues, but you're running for Congress and you should be talking about the border and this and that. Well, you know what? In, in District 7 in Maryland, in the Baltimore area, I can tell you, you know, for, from experience, 99% of the people are not even thinking about the southern border, right? And so for me to continue to run on messages that they don't think is a concern to them, uh, that doesn't help me. And so I have to basically break down the message, how it would have a, a trickle-down effect, you know, uh, talking about some of the federal funding that's coming in and actually implementing it and holding people accountable that actually get their hands on it. Uh, you know, talking about things like that, I think, really makes more sense uh, to those voters. But, you know, and also I say all the time, you know, the way that we talk to voters sometimes that are not on our side is the wrong way to go about it. Right. I, I don't think that we should be talking about, you know, getting off of a Democrat plantation. I think mm-hmm. we should say, you know, we should be inviting and persuading those moderate Democrats and those independents to vote with us, to be on our team, say something positive, uplifting, you know, not degrading. Um, and I think, you know, hopefully we'll move forward from those messages as well, because I think it does shoot us in the foot, so to say, uh, when we do get to Election Day, because people don't want to be talked down to. Uh, but yes, messaging has got to change. Uh, it's not going to be easy, because I think, you know, for Republicans, we're kind of stuck in our old ways sometimes. <laughs> uh, but I think the more people that adopt these messages, the better and easier it will be. Yeah, I I remember listening to you talking about money that was coming from the federal government that was basically disappearing into thin air in Baltimore, money that could have been used to handle a a lot of things that, honestly, I think of Baltimore like they show it on the Hallmark movies, um, because that's that's my like decompression point. I'll watch a Hallmark movie because they're almost so comically fake and perfect. And the problem that they deal with that is the arc, the character arc is so ridiculously easy to solve that it's nice to watch because it's it's not real. And the, the towns they're in are always so beautiful. And they set them in Baltimore sometimes. And so Baltimore's Charm City. I remember the first video I ever watched of you <laughs> from your campaign. And I was like, I wonder where that is. And then you said right here in Baltimore. I was like, that cannot be Baltimore. So, you know, a lot of people were shocked by that. But the 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 big deal for us is because immigration is a huge issue for me. But I'm also speaking on the national level and I'm talking about federal politics in Washington, D.C. There is something that is it's like um, it's something we all do. You're a mom. I'm a mom. We do this. We We basically say, what is my most pressing issue? So I may have 10 issues here, 10 things I got to do, but I'm going to handle that most pressing one first so that I can be enabled with that off my plate. I can then knock down these others. I truly believe that if people in Baltimore had safe streets and good schools and less poverty, and, and I'm talking about endemic poverty, a poverty will always be with us, but endemic poverty, then they could say to themselves, you know, some of the crime on our streets is directly from MS-13. That's a border issue. But you can't connect that when you have rats the size of cats running around your neighborhood and your kid's school is not just failed, but literally not teaching them anything. You can't deal with that issue because it seems too far away, even though it really is in your neighborhood. So your approach is the one that I just wish you could give RNC seminars, like just go across the country and speak to the local RNC groups and get them bought in to this idea that we handle the most pressing issues for voters first. And everyone addresses it from the senators to the congressmen. They start having town halls. They start meeting these people where they are and talking to them about addressing their issues, helping them figure out how to manage their local politicians, helping them figure out where that federal money is going, and then say to them, 
you know, now that we've tackled this, you know, and it takes time, then we, we work on these other issues. And at the federal level, when they're not doing that, they work on those issues because it is actually their job. Um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward, Kim, to seeing what else you're going to do. I'm over here at my place rooting you on. Um, I tell people all the time, there are no unwinnable districts. There is no place Republicans shouldn't campaign because we care about people and we want to change their lives. I point them to you all the time because I think it takes a comer, someone who's a doer, someone who actually gets things done and follows through and doesn't give up when it's tough, doesn't give up if the wind doesn't come right away. That's what we need more of. So I hope you go into Thanksgiving um, knowing that you're really inspirational and that you, you're going to do even more than what you've done already, and we're rooting for you. No, I really appreciate that, Stacey. I really do. Um, but like you said, you know, those issues at the border, it does hit us in Baltimore, when you especially think about the fentanyl over on our streets. So, yes, thank you so much uh, for this time and this opportunity to talk to you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Kim Glasick, rocketed at Red Renaissance. She just retweeted me, so you can find her online as well. I have links to all of her sites, Red Renaissance, her personal website, her Instagram, which is Straight Fire, all in the show notes for today's podcast. Kim Glasick, founder of Red Renaissance and former GOP congressional candidate, political analyst. Happy Thanksgiving, and thanks for coming on today. Thank you. Have a good one. All right. And that's the podcast. We'll be back with you shortly for more Stacy on the Right. Check us out in the evenings on Sirius XM, Channel 125, The Patriot. God bless you. <laughs>